Okay, so one of my favorite things to do on social media, uh, when I'm reading an article, or I watch a video, or anything like that, is I don't really care that much about what's going on in the video or the information the, the, the video is trying to give me. What I care more about is what people are saying in the comments about said video. I don't know if you guys are like that, but like if I see something that's even remotely like kind of like gets under people's skin, I, I'm just like, ooh, what does the comment say? And I just start scrolling because I want to know what people have to say. And it never fails. If it's, if it's something that's a little bit divisive, meaning it's somebody like something that everybody doesn't agree with, you just get these extremes from the left and to the right. And all these people are offended. You could just be, it could be the simplest video. Like right now, I'm really interested. Uh, I really like Creepy Dave. He's this guy on TikTok that does all these animal videos. And you could find somebody who's offended by Creepy Dave. And uh, the Creepy Dave name sounds terrible, but it's his, his animal videos are my favorite thing in the world. But you always find somebody who's offended by something. It has become such like this art right now of people getting offended. They, they figure out a way. I, sometimes I read the comments and I'm like, how did you get that out of that video? That video was just cute kittens, like trying to make the leap from like one counter to the next and failing. And yet somehow this person has decided to make this about the upcoming election between Donald Trump and President Biden. Like, I don't understand how they made the leap, even though the cat couldn't make the leap. I don't know how they made the leap between those two things, but it's super funny. And so I found all of these like random things. It was like the most silly things to get offended about. And so we're gonna take a look at them. Here's the first one here, okay? One, one time someone got offended when I put on my seat belt, though I thought I was commenting on their ability to drive. Do you ever like not realize you like didn't put on your seatbelt and then the person who's driving does something sketchy and you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to do that. I do that with Pastor Madeline all the time. Okay. I'm like, I don't need to put on a seatbelt. I'm in the backseat. It's fine. I'm a grown up. And then I'm like, maybe I just will go ahead and just, you know, all right. So here's the next one. <laughs> While working on tech support back during the dot-com boom, I had a customer get upset with me over the use of the word icon. He said it was religious implications, and he insisted I call Windows icons little picture things. <laughs> That's dumb. Next one, let's go. Okay, uh, I got in trouble in kindergarten for saying the word dead. Apparently, it was too violent. Man, okay, next one. Uh, I was at the vet with my cat, and he sneezed. This was, a very, was apparent, apparently very offensive to an elder woman. She was there with a corgi, and she started screaming at me for about 30 minutes about pet hygiene. A cat sneezing. A cat sneezing. That's like the cutest little thing. They're just like... Tsing. And I, I don't understand why she's offended. All right, next one. Uh, I told my sister in a PM that it's first, not first. <laughs> After she posted something on Facebook with the spelling error, she flipped out saying how I'm a bully and I need to appreciate that her spelling is more unique. How if somebody tells you their spelling is unique, it means they're not a good speller. They're a bad speller. Let's do another one. Uh, ex of mine once flew into a shrieking rage because while he was driving, someone swerved or did something surprising and I gasped out loud. Apparently that meant I didn't trust him and our relation, entire relationship was in question. The amount of rage for the level infraction was upsetting. I hate it when, when, when Julie does this to me, okay? I'm driving and she is the most like, <gasps> grabs the handle, just like tries to do the fake stomps. And I'm just like, I have never ever wrecked our vehicle 
in the 14 years we've been together, I've never wrecked a vehicle with you in the car in it. And yet still to this day, you think that I'm going to absolutely just ram into anything that's even remotely like brake lights come in front of her. And she's like, Joe, 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 Joe. You know, one time, one time she did it and she just went, oh. And we were, we were at the gym, and so we've got really into swimming for a season. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she just went, <gasps> and I went, ah! And I, like, panicked, and, like, the adrenaline flight. I was like, what, what, what? And she just looks at me, and she's like, I was just practicing my swim breathing. That's all she was doing. <laughs> but I get this one, okay? This one is frustrating to me. But nonetheless, no matter what, it seems like people just have, they just have a knack for finding ways to get offended. And we ourselves can get offended by things. And that's going to happen. It's not like we're not going to go through life without being offended. Even Jesus says in the Bible that offenses will come. But what I want to talk about a little bit tonight is that I want us to understand that just because there's offenses, men, just because there's offenses, that there's, we can do something about it. We, we don't have to just let them come and then walk away. It's interesting in the Bible, when they talk about offenses, the word they use, the Bible is written in Hebrew and Greek, and the word offense kind of has this meaning in Hebrew or in Greek where it's actually more talking about some sort of like trap, like, a, like it, offenses will come, and it's, and it's somehow referencing like getting a, a net being casted out, and all of a sudden you can get stuck in this net. And so when we start talking about offenses, where the Bible starts mentioning it, almost like being, getting trapped. You get trapped in an offense. And why is that? Well, because God doesn't want us to live our lives offended. He doesn't want us to live our lives bitter and frustrated in life. He wants us to live free. It's the enemy. It's the devil who wants us to live our lives offended. And so he's going to bring situations and things into our life where we get offended. And then we have a choice. Do we step into the trap of the offense or do we go ahead and let the offense go? And that's what we have to look at. And so what we're going to do is we're doing the OT story. So we're talking about Old Testament characters. And so I want us to look through and we are going to look at a major character in the Old Testament. And he is one of my favorites, mainly because I'm named after this guy. Okay. And so his name is Joseph. All right, and if you're in the South, for some reason they add a weird Z to my name and it's Joseph, okay? Or if you're the band, it's Brosif Joseph right now. I don't know, that's really, it's really stuck with them. Now, Joseph was an interesting story. Let's give you a little backstory. So there was this guy named Abraham. He is what you would call the, the father of our faith, the father of the Israelite nation. He was kind of the first guy that God really got in contact with and started to grow the Israelite nation from this guy. The song Father Abraham had many sons was kind of true, except for he actually only had one son. So that's not necessarily true, but he had a lot of descendants. So he had one son and his son was named Isaac. And Isaac then had a wife, her name was Rebecca, and they had two kids named Jacob and Esau. Now they, they, those two guys had kind of a weird, like, weird relationship and they started like button heads and everything. But, and so Jacob went off away from his family because he did something pretty messed up. And so he again is supposed to marry this girl that he loves. He falls in love with her. Okay. And her name is Rachel. All right. And so her name is Rachel and he falls in love with her. But the dad of Rachel also has another daughter and he wants her to marry, he wants jo uh, Jacob to marry her instead. So 
It's weirdness, okay? Back in the day, you could have more than one wife, and it wasn't as weird as it is now, okay? And you don't get your own reality TV show. So uh, he ends up with two, kid, two wives, and one wife he loves, Rachel. He loves, 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 loves her. This is the one he wanted. He loves, loves her, okay? Then the other one, he doesn't really like all that much. Well, it turns out that the one that he doesn't like very much was like a baby-making machine, okay? And she pops out 11 kids, okay? 11 kids. Now, Rachel, the favorite wife, is barren for a really, really, really long time, and she can't have kids. And all of a sudden, she has one. And his name was Joseph. And now we are into the story of Joseph. Now, Jacob had 11 sons with one wife and one with Rachel, his favorite wife. So therefore, he decided, he's not like a normal dad when you go like, hey, dad, who's your favorite? And he goes, oh, you bo- you're my favorite both in unique ways. No, Jacob was like, this one, this one is my favorite. I don't like you all as much. Joseph is my favorite. You guys, go, go take care of sheep because I'm gonna hang out with Joseph, my favorite, who is also my favorite. Okay, he just rubbed it in their faces the whole time. He didn't care. And so he even would do things where he would like give him favorable things. He even got him what's called a multi-colored coat, okay? And I know that this coat means a lot different things right now than it did back then. But back in the day, this was all the fashion, okay? And so like if you had a multicolored coat, you were almost considered royalty because it was really hard back, you know, in like 4,000 BC to make a coat that looked like this, okay? Um, And so this is so meta, right? This is Joseph wearing a multicolored coat talking about Joseph wearing a multicolored coat. It's incredible, okay? Now... I just can't wear this jacket, okay? And now, the thing about Joseph, okay, he knew he was the favorite son, and it, but it didn't stop there. And it already rubbed the brothers the wrong way that Jacob looked at him the favorite. But then Joseph started, having to, starting, started to have a couple dreams. So then Joseph had these dreams, and one was about the stars and the moon, and it was Joseph's star, and it was surrounded by 11 other stars and the sun and the moon, and they all bowed down to him. And he tells his family story, and he's like, I wonder what that could mean. And then he had another story where he said, my hay bale was in the middle, and then 11 other hay bales and two other bigger ones, they all bowed down to me. I wonder what that could mean. All right? And he was super just pushy about it, and he's like, clearly it must mean that at some point down the road, you guys are going to bow down to me. And he rubbed it in his brother's faces the 11 of them, and they decided that they did not like this at all. So then one day, Joseph is walking to his brothers, and they are out taking care of the sheep, and he was probably getting like a mani-pedi or something like that, I don't know. And he was just like enjoying, he was having like a great day, and he's just walking, and they see him from afar, and they have decided that they do not like him. And so they look at each other, and they go, hey, there's Joseph coming down the road, and they say, let's kill him. That's what they say. Let's kill the guy. Their own brother, they're like, um, he's out. And so this is what they decide to do. They go, well, it would be wrong of us to kill him. So let's throw him in a hole to die because then we didn't kill him. The hole killed him. That was their logic. I'm telling you the truth. It says right here in Genesis 37, when Joseph's brother saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer. They said, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal had eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Psychopaths right here. They're just like, 
thinking about how they're going to kill him, okay? And so they, they end up throwing him in the hole, all right? And they're just like, let's go. And they're like, well, look, now we have the coat. And they're like, we got the coat. He's going to stay in the hole. And they decided they were going to walk away and just let him die. But then all of a sudden, these guys start coming down the road. And they realize that these people are headed to Egypt. And they say, you know what? Let's not kill him. That would be so mean of us. That would be the worst thing we could do. In fact, and we're not getting anything from him if we leave him in the hole. Let's sell him. And so they take these traders and they sell Joseph into slavery for some money. And then they go and tell their father that he was eaten and killed by a wild animal. That is so messed up. You thought your siblings were mean, okay? This is the worst thing ever. Now, it's one thing to be born a slave. When you think about it, like if you were raised up in that, but we're talking Joseph was a favored son. He had fancy clothes. He was educated. He, all, he had all of the things he could want in his life. And now all of a sudden he is pushed into slavery. This is an awful thing. And we see a couple family dynamics where offenses can really mess things up. And we're going to take a look at this first offense that we found. Now the brothers, they take the trap of being offended and they don't let it go. They saw that the brother Joseph was the favorite. They heard about the dreams. They said, hey, here comes the dreamer. And rather than choosing to forgive, choosing to let go, they took the trap and they let something harbor, that offense harbor inside their souls. And then they decide, they get so bitter and angry about it from this offense that they try and kill their brother. And then instead they do the second worst thing you could do to a person, which is sell them as a slave. And this happens a lot in the Bible. For some reason, you got Cain was super jealous of Abel. These are the first two siblings that are ever recorded in human history, Cain and Abel. And Cain does not like that God liked Abel's offering more than his, so he kills Abel. You've got Saul and David, and David was a, a loyal servant of Saul, but Saul became jealous and offended by David's popularity with him people. And so he tries to kill David. And in our relationships, we don't necessarily, hopefully, ever try and kill the people that offend us. We don't try and kill the sibling or, or the parent or someone who offends us, but we do pick up an offense and Jesus understands that it's not just enough to, to not kill a person. He takes it a step further, and he says this in Matthew 5. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. So I, so I know we get angry with our siblings and parents, but, but I'm talking about, and it's not just necessarily being angry or frustrated with them. They did something, they make you mad and you let it go. But this is this anger is talking about like being bitter and resentful and you're holding on to it. Almost like you just don't even care about that person anymore. You don't want them in your life. And instead of necessarily, you don't kill them, but what you do is you just write them out of your relationship. You're like, we are no longer people. I'm going to kill off this relationship there is going to be no interactions with us besides the things that we have to interact with. There will be con no connection. There'll be none of those things. I am killing off this relationship all because we picked up an offense. They did something down the road. They did something in our life where we could not let it go. And so we didn't physically kill that person, but we relationally kill a person. And sometimes, yes, when someone hurts us, it's important to put up some boundaries. But I think sometimes... We put up boundaries because we're bitter. 
not because we should, we should, where in some moments we should work through it, but we go, oh, it's not good for me. It's not good for my mental health. It's not good for these things if I have this person around me. And really what it is, is we just don't want to hash out the conflict. We don't want to let them know how we're really feeling. We don't want to choose to forgive them. It's easier for us to stay bitter and put up boundaries and kill off the relationship. And that's what the brothers did. But Joseph, let's see how he could handle it. Now he could have easily stepped into this trap too. How offended could he be by his brothers selling him into slavery? And we assume that if he would have held on to that offense, we would have seen that in the story. But let's continue into this story. So what Joseph does is he gets sold to, into a, a high-ranking official's house, and his name was Potiphar. And he would now be a slave in Potiphar's house. And so he, he gets this position, and Jesus or Joseph at this point decides, you know what? I'm already here. All I can do is make the best of this situation. I know God promised me incredible things, so I'm just going to keep moving. I'm just going to keep going. And so he kept believing God's promises for his life. He didn't take on the trap of offense and he starts working and he's already educated. He's a well-educated person. So he finds favor with Potiphar to where very quickly, all of a sudden, Joseph is now head of Potiphar's household. He's in charge of all the dealings, all the selling and the going and all of those things. Now, the problem with Joseph in this situation is he had what we're going to call accidental Riz, okay? Now, he didn't know it, but he was just putting off the Riz like you wouldn't believe. And one person took note. That was Potiphar's wife, okay? And she could not let it go, okay? Like, he was just, he was just doing whatever he was, and everything he was was just a crazy thirst trap for her, all right? And so she decided that she wanted to sleep with Joseph. Now, this wasn't crazy, like that uncommon back then. Like people slept with their slaves. It was a messed up place. But he knew that he was not supposed to. And he knew that he was wanted to stay and honor his master. And so he says, no, I'm not going to sleep with you. And she, she tries and tries again to get him to sleep with him. And so at one point, she reaches out and starts to grab him and try and force him into a sexual uh, intimacy at that point. And so he freaks out and he tries to get away. Well, as he gets away, his clothes tear off. So now the dude's running away naked and she has his clothes and she decides that she is going to yell rape. And she yells that he tried to get after her. And of course, Potiphar is not gonna believe the slave. He's gonna believe his wife. And all of a sudden, Joseph goes from being the head of this household to being put in prison. Now, Prison today is not a bad place. It, uh, well, yes, it is. <laughs> but compared to prison back then, all right, it's the Hilton, okay? I'm telling you, it's just, just a hole they threw you in. It was a dark, wet, muggy, stinky hole where there was no place to go to the bathroom and it was barely big enough for you to even kind of stand up and, and there was just enough food and water to keep you alive. And it wasn't like you had a sentence of you must stay in here for 10 years or two years or a time limit. It was just, we are throwing you in there and we are going to forget about you. We will never ask about you again. You will just be in this place. And so this second offense came from Potiphar's wife. And she wanted something from Joseph and was denied and became offended. Now, Potiphar's wife, let's be honest, she just wanted Joseph's bod, okay? She just, that's really what she wanted. But when we really think about it, all right, she also probably wanted attention. She wanted love. She wanted to feel wanted. 
And Joseph, though, in this moment, rightfully so, he denied her that. And so when he denied her a need that she had, she became offended and she threw him into prison. And this is an offense we can often pick up. We expect other people to fulfill our needs. We want our parents or our girlfriend and boyfriend or our friends or our siblings. And we have these things that we want these other people. We, we have needs. I, I need to feel loved. I need to feel cherished. I need to feel like you're proud of me. I need to feel like, like you respect me or any of these things. And we have these needs. And when people don't meet those needs, all of a sudden we begin to get offended. And much like Potiphar's wife, we can throw these people in prison. In marriage, we like to call it the doghouse. When the wife is mad at the husband, we, call, we throw him in the doghouse. And we can accuse people like Potiphar's wife of doing or not doing so much what, of more than what they actually did. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't want to do that. But she was offended and she accused him of so much more. And sometimes we do that too. Our friends find other people they like hanging out with us. And so we get jealous. And we then accuse them of being poor or unfaithful friends. Our siblings aren't being supportive or they're not even around. And so we pull back and we, we decide we don't want to hang out with them anymore. Our communication gets shorter and shorter. We can do, we can pick up offenses. We can because they don't do what we want them to do. And then we put them in a relationship prison. And Joseph ends up in prison for doing, doing something right. And once again, Joseph here in this moment should have every right to be offended, to pick up the trap of being offended. He should, because now he's literally in prison in Egypt and it sucks to be there. And so now he's, once again, he has a choice. Do I just hang out my life? I know God promised me this, but it's over. I'm gonna just, I give up. I'm gonna stay offended. I'm gonna stay bitter in this moment. But we know he didn't because all of a sudden it says that very quickly, now he's in prison and all of a sudden he's getting responsibilities and the guards begin to trust and respect Joseph. And now they're, they're letting him be, be a part of whatever's going on in that prison. And so now you're seeing like he's continuing to move forward and put his best foot forward in this situation. And so he's there for two years. And once again, Joseph moves up this ladder, but then all of a sudden these two guys show up and they have dreams. One of them has a dream that is not good news. And the other one has a dream that is very, very good news. And so this, these two people worked for Pharaoh. One was a baker and one was a wine taster for Pharaoh. And so they tell Joseph their dreams and then he gives them the report. And to the baker, he says, your dream means this. And so Joseph can interpret these dreams. And he says, your dreams means that in three days, you're gonna die. And for the wine taster, he said, your dream means in three days, you get your job back and you get to be with the Pharaoh. Well, it happens. Joseph interprets their dreams and exactly what he says happens. And so before the wine, wine taster leaves, he goes, hey, remember me and tell Pharaoh about me. And the wine taster goes, yeah, absolutely. And so all of a sudden, Joseph is sitting in a dungeon waiting for that cupbearer, that wine taster, to tell Pharaoh the news and get him out of prison. And nothing. Two more years go by and nothing. And Joseph now has the opportunity to be offended with another person. And have you ever been offended by a person who broke their promise, leaving you waiting, hopeless in the dark? Maybe it's a boss promising better pay, better hours, a schedule that works for you, but they don't come through. Maybe it's a parent's 
who promise to help you out with something, help you pay for a car, and all of a sudden they back out on a promise. Maybe it's a friend who promises, hey, I'm going to be there for you. I've got your back. And something happens, and they're nowhere to be found. It's a teacher who promised extra credit or help with schoolwork, and all of a sudden they're too busy, and now you're failing their class. And Joseph spent two more years in prison because a person didn't keep their promise. What do we do when the promise that wasn't kept keeps us stuck in our situation? When somebody said they were going to help and they don't, and now we're stuck in the yuck. We're just left hanging. Joseph had the chance to give up, but he continued to live and push forward. And sometimes in our lives, when we're stuck in those moments, we have every opportunity to take the trap of being offended because they didn't hold on to that promise. They didn't keep their side of the deal and we can choose to be offended and bitter, but we need to be like Joseph in those situations and let it go. And we can tell he let it go because of what happens next in this story. So two years later, the Pharaoh had a dream which no one could interpret. So the Pharaoh, the head of all of Egypt has this dream and he's trying to get someone to interpret this dream. And I don't know what this cupbearer is doing right now, but it sounds like the, the, the Pharaoh asked a lot of different people to interpret this dream. And at some point, the wine taster was just like, dream interpreter. Oh, Joe, hey. And so he tells Pharaoh about Joseph in the prison. And so they bring up Joseph. Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream and Joseph interprets it. He says, this is what your dream means. And it's got all sorts of cows and craziness like this. But he says, this is basically what this means. There's going to be seven years where your crops are going to go gangbusters and you're going to have all sorts of crops and overflow and all sorts of it. And then in seven years after that, you're going to have seven years of famine and everything is going to die. There's not going to be a single thing to grow. And if you don't plan ahead in the first seven years, you're going to be hurting in the next seven years. And Pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph in this moment that he makes Joseph the second most powerful person in Egypt, just below Pharaoh. So Joseph went from favored son to slave, to at least favored slave to prisoner, to at least favored prisoner, now to the second highest, most important person in Egypt. At this point, we can go, Potiphar's wife, uh-oh. Cupbearer, uh-oh. He's coming for you. You better believe he is coming for you. But it says nothing in the Bible about Joseph going and getting his revenge on those people. And that's how you know that Joseph didn't do anything or didn't hold on to that offense. So Joseph plans wisely and he saves and he, and, he, and he basically is now in charge of saving the food so that people can live through those last seven years. And he does. And so there's seven years of plenty. And then all of a sudden that famine hit and now there was nothing. And so now he's basically got a food bank like Taggart's. Good job. All right. So now he has a food bank and people, not just in Egypt, but the surrounding area, there is no food. There is no crops growing. And so now guess who decides they're hungry and needs food? Joseph's family. Now, all of a sudden, the 11 brothers walk into Egypt looking for food. And they walk up to the second most important person in Egypt, and they bow down before him. Just like the dreams. Many years before. And never would Joseph thought in a million years would those dreams come to truth. 
But all of a sudden, he sees his brothers bow down before him. The people who sold him into slavery, he's got them right in his hands. He has all the power in the world at that moment to absolutely just kill them, have them executed right there, and no one would bat an eye. And this is how we know that Joseph wasn't offended anymore. He did a few things to make sure his brothers, that he could trust his brothers, that they had changed, that they regretted their decision for what happened. And he, he kind of did, did an elaborate plan, but nonetheless, in the end, he decided that he could t- trust his brothers again. He told them who he was because they didn't recognize him because they never would have thought the person that they were bowing down to was their brother who they sold into slavery. And all of a sudden he, sh- he shows them love, he shows them mercy, and he invites them there and he gives them everything that Egypt has to offer and he makes sure that they're okay. Joseph had so many opportunities to be offended and so many bad things happened to him because of other people being offended by him. And he could have just said, well, they're offended, so I'm gonna be offended. He could have said, well, they did this to me, so now I'm going to hold on to that bitterness. But we see through his story that he continued to let go of that bitterness. Why? Because he remembered the dream that God gave him in the first place, that God had something important planned for him, that he was meant for more. And he knew that if he were to hold on to the bitterness, hold on to the offense, that at some point, that that would mess up God's plan for his life. We all have those offenses. Things happen. The offenses are gonna come. My parents got a divorce when I was 14, and my older brother and my sister, older sister, split so fast. They didn't want anything to do with that family anymore, and all of a sudden, I'm 14 years old, my parents are split, and they're gone. My grandfather, the last 20 years of his life, I can't remember two things that he said nice to me. I had a boss when I was your guys' age that, that stole hundreds of dollars out of a paycheck right as he fired me, and he basically took a bunch of money out of a paycheck. I had friends, my best friends, coming out of high school. They bailed on me, they bailed on God, and they don't want anything to do with me anymore, and they don't want to talk to me anymore. Offenses are going to come, but we can't allow ourselves to get trapped by the offenses that come. We need to resist the temptation to be offended. James 4, 7 says this, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what letting go of an offense, that's what it takes. Your pride wants to hold on to it. No, I deserve something from them. I can't let this go. I can't forgive them. I want to hold on to this offense because if I let it go, that means that they're off the hook. That means they don't, they don't, have to, they don't owe me anything anymore. And I want to hold on to that so bad. But if we humble ourselves and we say, God, it's up to you. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Let him take care of the offenders in your life. Resist the devil's traps of offense that he uses. You guys, God has a plan. God has a plan for your life. And just like we saw in Joseph's story, nobody could get in the way of God's plans for Joseph. God knew what he was doing every step of the way. And no brothers, no Potiphar's wife, no forgetful cupbearer, no Pharaoh, nobody could get in the way of God's plans for Joseph's life, except for Joseph. If he would have chosen to just dwell in the bitterness, 
to just dwell in the offense in some of those moments. None of those other things and those other people and those other situations could have stopped what God wanted to do for him, but that could have messed it up. God can show you his love. God can show you blessings and favor, even when other people mess up, even when other people make you angry or frustrated or, or offend you. Because no one can stop God from doing what he wants to do in your life except you. And when we pick up the offense and we pick up the bitterness and we pick up the unforgiveness, that's what stops God's plan for your life. The Bible says that we must forgive others because God forgives us. And that offense and that bitterness we hold on to, that's what it is. It's unforgiveness. So what I want us to do just real quick is I just want us to take a second. I just wanted you to think if there's any offense or bitterness that's going on in your life, what is God bringing to mind right now? Is it a sibling? Is it a friend? Is it a boss? An ex-parent? And I just want you to think for a moment. Have I let it go? Or am I still holding on to it? The way you know if you've let it go is you ask this question, how would I feel that person got what they deserve? Would I celebrate? Would I say good riddance? They got what they deserve? See, to know that you've truly let go of an offense, you need to ask yourself, how would I feel if, if, not necessarily when, that person, you got the justice you wanted because of that person? See, Joseph could have gotten justice. Right there, his 11 brothers bowed down before him. He had every, he had every right and the ability and the opportunity to take justice into his own hands. But he chose forgiveness and he chose to let it go. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. God has too much planned for you. He has too much planned for your life for you to let offenses, bitterness get in the way, to get let unforgiveness, to let that person who hurt you in the past get in the way. He has something more for you and he wants the best for you. And sometimes the best comes on the opposite side of that forgiveness. The best and the plan and, and the, the, what he's got for you comes on the opposite side of dealing with that offense, dealing with that bitterness, dealing with that unforgiveness. So don't stay trapped and stuck in that cycle. Don't let that person win anymore. Don't let that person continue to keep you and hurt you and keep you from what God has planned for your life. Let them go. Say, God, you take care of them. I want what you have for me. I want what you have for me. Yeah, they hurt me. And right now in this moment, yeah, I want them to be hurt like they hurt me. But God, if that was the case, 
then there's plenty of, plenty of times where I've messed up too. So I'm gonna let that go. I'm gonna forgive that person because God, you've forgiven me for so much more. And I'm gonna move forward because I want what you have. Let's close our eyes and let's just talk to him for a second. Father God, whatever's going on in our hearts right now, I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, that, that in the moments right now, God, that we can say, I forgive them. And maybe, God, we say it tonight. And maybe, God, we need to say it again tomorrow. And we need to say it in another week. And we need to say it in another month that we forgive that person and we need to let it go. But God, we understand that we need to forgive them because you've forgiven us and we need to forgive them so that we can have everything that you have for us and we want every bit of that, God. And so we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, God, for all of the beautiful plans you have for us, God. And we choose that, not the bitterness. We choose that, not the offense. We choose your plans, not the unforgiveness, God. And we love you. And it's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media or our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and we hope to see you there.